Okay, preparing is being live streamed. I will let people in, okay? Posso começar? Esse é o momento para entrar as pessoas. Okay. Okay, we are live. Hello everyone, wherever you, wherever you are tuning in from, thank you Mafalda, Nicholas and Richard for being here today. Wishes of a happy new year to everyone out there. When climate action meets efficiency along the wine operation is the name of our very first climate talk of 2022. Not a great title, but a great topic and a strong and diverse panel. For those tuning in for the first time, The protocol is an international organization created by Taylor Sport. In the last two years, we have been building a platform of climate solutions for the wine value chain. The work we do is fueled by collaborative sharing, by the best practices, ideas and experiences shared by our members in a variety of ways. We are a growing, open and global network with members from different regions, sizes, spread across the wine value chain, but most importantly, in different stages of climate action. So we hereby invite you to join our community. We welcome companies regardless of where they are in terms of climate path, as we value progress, action, more than we do perfection. Our experience has shown us that this spirit of inclusiveness creates a wider space for learning and connection between people. Moving on to our climate talks. These are a fundamental tool for us as they constitute a space for sharing and learning where through three companies from different sizes and profiles share their experiences and best practice about a specific topic related to wine and climate change. And by the end of today's discussion, the, the end of today's climate talk about how to run a wine operation with climate action at core, we hope to understand the following. What shifts can contribute to a more efficient operation in a wine business focused on adapting and mitigating climate change? And what specific measures, as each of these companies we have here today, implemented to turn a climate action strategy into an operational reality? Now, this is going to be a challenging um, talk, we must say, because we have so many topics we want to address. But let me introduce to you our guests. I'll start with Nicholas because Nicholas was in our very first climate talk in May 2020. Nicholas Kille is the chief winemaker and operations at Crimson Wine Group. Crimson Wine Group operates in, produces wines in the regions of California, Oregon, and uh, Washington. Nicholas, as I said, was a guest at our very, very first climate talk about packaging. And I must tell you that we have decided as a group, as a panel, that we will do our very best not to turn primary packaging into the primary topic of this conversation today. So expect conversation about waste, about logistics, about transportation. And we'll, yes, we'll cover packaging, but let's look at packaging, the hidden packaging rather than the primary one, okay? And moving on to Mafalda. Mafalda is the resident winemaker at Herdades Grosh, a wine producer in the Alentejo region in Portugal. And from the UK, but in a way also from Australia, we are joined by Richard Lloyd. Richard is the general manager, manager at The Park, which is a bottling facility owned by Accolade Wines, which you probably know. Now, moving on to the questions, and I'll start by introducing a topic that we don't 
speak about enough from where we stand, which is a cradle-to-cradle analysis. And I'll start by asking you if your companies have, inter- have implemented this type of analysis, of life cycle analysis, to your processes in general. I'll start with Mafalda. All right. So hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for inviting Erdados Groves and myself to be part of this panel. I'm very proud of being here today with all of you and share all, all of these good ideas. Um, so yes, indeed, Erdados Groves um, already have this uh, life uh, life cycle analysis of the whole production process um, and, of course, environmental impacts of this of our process. Uh, and it's, it is very important for us because this will help us to find and to develop solutions to, to better improve our environmental uh, footprint and uh, our environmental or reduce our environmental impact. So it's very, very important. And we've been analyzed all of the, the process since the vineyard to the bottling to the actually the expedition of the wines from the from Herdados Gros, and it's been very important to make some actions in practice, uh, again, to, to reduce and to, to have less impact in terms of environment. And Mafalda, in, in practical terms, what kind of measures did it uh, contribute to that life cycle analysis? So a bit of everything. So um, in terms of waste, we analyze all the waste that we produce in the different activities since the vineyards to the vinification, uh, also included the offices, the administration offices. And we've been realized that all the waste produced has to be recycled or reused um, and uh, at least sent to a municipal uh, solid waste landfill uh, to get very, very to get more valorization uh, and to have a correct final destination. Um, so we've been measure all of these parts of the process and all of the, the waste that the, the, the different parts have um, in order to find different solutions for, for that. Of course, we've been reuse a lot of them. Uh, we find out that it's, it's, it's much easier to do it at that just send that to the municipal solid landfill, for example. Um, also, energy and water uh, measures uh, are very important for us, especially water, because we are located in Aletejo and because of our crops, we need a lot of water. So this is also in- very important for us. Um, and energy, of course, uh, we have a lot of uh, sunlight hours in Portugal. So uh, solar energy makes a lot of sense also for us. So we have installed three different solar panel parks parks around the state, uh, which being very convenient for us. Um, and well, so on. Then we can go to the to the bottling and to the packaging. But as you said, Marta, I think we can <laughs> left this a little bit behind. <laughs> Nicholas. Yeah, so we, we don't have as, as exhaustive of a process as Mafalda um, has mentioned. I think we we tend to separate waste from the life cycle analysis. And we'll talk about waste later and, and be an uh, interesting conversation. Um, as far as life cycle, what we really are interested in is the packaging supply more than anything else. And so uh, when we look at all the different parts that constitute the, uh, 
uh, in our case, a bottle, a label, a capsule, or a bottle. We want to know um, if it could be uh, reused or if it could be recycled. Uh, and so we would, we would ask our suppliers, what is that thing made of exactly? And how it will, if it goes to a landfill, which many of those parts goes to the landfill, what is the, uh, the life of that package in the landfill? So that's what's interesting to us. That's where we focus our effort. Has it has the analysis itself brought uh, brought results in terms of your operation? Did it really help you understand uh, that information from your suppliers? Oh, it does. It, it does. Well, first, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you're surprised what goes into the making of uh, of uh, a given packaging. And uh, uh, and sometimes it's difficult to understand what's the degradation of that package or the afterlife of that package. Is that bottle going to be recycled? Is it going to go to a landfill? What happens when it breaks down? Um, you know, then you go into conversation about uh, different type of materials and what is the life of that material into the landfill? Uh, is it uh, a thousand years before it decomposes, or uh, is it harmful to uh, to wildlife? Uh, now we could go into conversation about plastic, for example, at that point. Um, so yes, yes, asking those questions is super important. And we're not packaging specialists, so we don't often understand uh, uh, what we're putting our wine into. Yeah. Okay. So we'll speak about that. Will lead us to the waste to the waste talk as well. So we'll leave it to 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 a few minutes. A few minutes, Richard. Yeah, I think what I'd build on, on what the guys have said is um, we have gone out and mapped ours, but we've used a partner. And, and I think that's a really important thing, you know, as we all make our journey, as you say, at different points down the sort of sustainability. And we found a partner in the UK called the Carbon Trust who really helped us map out our end-to-end -end supply chain. And I think just the sheer power of that opened many people's eyes in the business because you make assumptions you make assumptions that the shipping of the wine around the world would probably be the largest segment and so i certainly found reaching out to someone else and, and, and partnering someone who's an expert in it um and then actually the sheer data then really sort of helps you hone into where you should put your effort um so yeah so so, so we're there we understand our footprint and um, it's certainly got a bigger footprint in certain parts of our supply chain than we would have first thought. But what you're talking about is more measuring the carbon footprint rather than the cradle-to-cradle analysis, correct? Yeah, so sorry. So in some terms of the, the, the sort of to grade, we also do that. So I mean, I suppose we're quite proud that we're zero waste to landfill. Um, yes, we're going to talk about that for sure, yeah. So, so there's that element, and, and you're then right about like the rest of the product and where does that end up? And again, I'll, I'll talk a lot about the UK, and I think our actual government and some of the policies are really helping. So, there's a lot of discussion at the moment about new plastic sort of taxes coming in, and, and there are different elements about where does that truly go and i think people are learning that if you look something like an, an aluminium can you know there are claims at the moment that your can of wine if you use a can actually comes back to life in eight weeks whereas we know that at the moment glass and glass color 
is improving, but, but, but it hasn't got that full life cycle. So again, we do look at that. I think that final waste to grave bit, the knowledge isn't fully there, but again, I think it's data that people are hungry for these days. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's try to, but it's good to know that it has been a helpful process. Let's go into um, transportation and logistics in general, which is always, again, th these are the, the hidden topics, so to speak. There are also elephant in, elephants in the rooms. Have your companies looked into um, different ways of transportation? Have you measured the carbon footprints for these alternative um, options? And let's take into account that you have completely different businesses, which is quite interesting uh, from Herdades Gruz that you, and actually you can tell us a little bit about how, what markets do you have and how have you, have you approached this, this topic? And Nicholas, do you want to start? Yes, so we, we're a little too small um, to entertain um, different mode of transportation as far as um, rail, for example, or um, ocean freight. We, 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 don't, we don't have that kind of quantities that we're shipping around. Um, we, do, we do on transportation, I, I see it in, in two ways. The first one is goods coming to the winery and then goods going out of the winery. Uh, and there are things we can do and we do to reduce the amount of miles traveled uh, on the road. Um, the first one is to uh, have a, a good knowledge on where the wine should be located. Uh, and so a good allocation model. Uh, very often wine moves 20 times uh, between where it's produced and the end consumer. So how do we reduce the amount of movements uh, even internally, so it's at the right place uh, at the first time. And the second thing we do uh, is we we like the hub and spoke model, so not having too many warehouses located in too many places, um, because we end up moving the inventory two or three times actually when we have too many locations. So we've closed a lot of warehouses ourselves and tend to consolidate at one location, so we can also consolidate our shipments for trucks or uh, uh, or for pallets. Uh, when you're a smaller producer, sometimes you have in uneven layers or one case at a time, and that's really expensive to ship around. Um, and uh, uh, we, do, we do start to look at um, shipping in bulk and bottling closer to the end consumer in some cases, or at least closer to a warehouse. Um, Those so. warehouses are your own or are owned by distributors for example well the, the warehouse i would talk about would be a hub that would be contracted out so we don't we own warehouses but we also contract out the final the final warehouse where we would consolidate all our different wineries we have six wineries so all those we consolidate at one location and then we would ship from that location uh, to all our clients wherever they they are um, and so finding a bottling line closer to that location or building a bottling line closer to that location, regardless of where the winery is located, that allows us to have less movement and ship the wine in bulk to that bottling location. Does that make sense? Which doesn't work for everybody because, of course, uh, in some places in the world, the wine has to be bottled within the region of origin. Um, in our case, it's a little bit uh, easier in the United States. We don't have any 
rules like this so we can send a wine from Washington, for example, and bottle it in California, where our hub is located. It's much more efficient to ship it in bulk and bottle it down there rather than uh, sending the glass all the way up to Washington, sending the bottled wine all the way down to California. Okay. Is it a common practice to ship in bulk in, in, the, in the US? It is, especially for, yeah, especially for large producers. I think okay. it's a little less common for uh, a Small smaller, or I would call us a mid-sized producer ourselves with multiple wineries. That's less common. Okay, and that's that's an interesting point. And I'll pass on to Richard because I know bulk wine is something really important in the UK. Uh, and so I'll leave the, that question to you, Richard, regarding, as I said, uh, logistics and transportation and ways of uh, of alternative ways of transportation. Yeah, I suppose. So I suppose when you look at Nicholas, the scale of sort of my business is slightly different. So we're the largest importer in the UK. We bring about six thousand containers a year into the UK. So that's a 24,000 litre bag. Um, the carbon footprint, if you ship in bulk versus finished goods, we, we, we believe is around a 40% reduction. So 95% of what we sell in the UK comes in in bulk, and, and that's crucial for us, and we know we're very much leading the industry on that. Um, I think there's been a bit of a journey for people in wine to get confidence in that mode of transport. And what I mean by that is the bag technology that when you're moving ultimately 24,000 litres, that, that are you better moving it in a large bag or in its pre-bottled state? We've done a lot of work now where we could prove that we get the product to the end consumer in a, in a fresher uh, state by actually bottling it in the country of sale. Um, so we very much believe in the technology, the process, the sustainable bit of that, but I suppose you then want to keep pushing it. So when it arrives in the ports, historically, we've then moved it by road. We're now about half of our wine moves by rail from um, the ports to our facility. And that goes with long-term contracts that we're trying to do and set up because often, obviously, to get rail, you need a lot more volume than just moving a single truck. So I think what's great is... Um, I think the transport network is improving um, in terms of there being more rail options. People are really moving to that. And, and we're in discussions with certain retailers where we'll move wine to our facility on a rail and then we'll move finished goods back the other way. So, again, I think um, the wine industry and, and, and that logistics bit has moved massively. And even now it's pushing on. We've got our first electric HGV going off on the roads in literally a month's time. We're now looking, can you take a 24,000 litre bag to a 26,000 litre bag um, and, and just seeing if, if there are different ways to optimise. So on Nicholas's point, I think everyone has woken up to moving the packaging around a country is wholly inefficient. Um, you want to get your product as close to the consumer as possible before you actually package it. Okay, that's interesting. So looking at what both of you said, Richard, you although you import most of the wine in bulk anyway, you've changed the, the means or you're changing the means of transportation from road to, to rail. And I don't know, for example, if that's possible in the UK. I know that's unfortunately, maybe that used to be possible in Portugal, but it's not as much in, uh, it's not as much right now. You're also 
improving the, the quality of the way you deliver or, or wine is delivered to your bottling facility and then to the consumer. Um, uh, Nicholas, sorry, before just going back to Mafalda and building on this question about uh, bulk, um, the, the, the interesting thing about the US, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nicholas, is, is thinking that sometimes wine that comes from a different country might have a lower carbon footprint than delivering a small quantity of wine within the US by plane, for example, isn't it? So it's it's I'm not sure I'm not sure what you're asking if uh, I mean I think there was a map in the past that showed that uh, you could cut the US in two and the west coast like the eastern side of the country the carbon footprint was lower if you were drinking European wines than yeah. you were yeah. drinking California wines I remember that map um, I, I think what's really interesting to me well what would be really interesting to see as a development is to see smaller wineries being able to bottle at destination. And it's actually amazing to me, uh, I guess it's a challenge for anyone that's listening, uh, that wineries don't have more agreements between one another because we all have bottling lines. And it's interesting that, for example, uh, uh, I'm not suggesting you call me Mafalda tomorrow for this, but, uh, 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 but we, you know, like a producer could call another producer yeah. and that cares about wine, wines and they have a significant amount of wine to bottle for a specific country and say, could we contract bottle with you? Yeah. We'll send you the goods, you'll bottle it for us and you'll take good care of the wine and you just have to bottle it and it's the warehouse. And then we'll do the same the other way around. We'll send you yeah. the wine in bulk and you'll bottle it for us. There, there's lots of capacity in the system that is not being used currently. There is another conversation actually. We did, we did have a question um, from one of the, of the, the people, of the, actually one of our members, Karen McNamara from Conscious Container. And I do not want to introduce the packaging on that side, but she did ask when could when would we see the move to reusable bottles? Is that something that you would consider? It's actually going well, that's out. That's your considering. So, well, well, I'll be honest. So, I mean, the UK has launched it, and, and we're the first wine company. So, there's a there's yes, an organisation called, called called Loop who are giving it a go, and and we have just filled two of our key brands um, it's out there in Tesco's, gone with a heavier weight bottle, and and the ultimate aim of the model is that the bottle that's been through testings will manage to do ten life cycles. Um, so, okay, you're going with a heavier one at the start. So. I think that world is is coming back. And again, uh, personally, I think wine's got a journey to go through on its packaging. So I know glass is seen as the primary, but I think if you look at some of the things of aluminium and, and I think some different materials, maybe the consumer's got a journey to go on. Um, but certainly I think uh, that people are learning that you just don't want to recycle these days do you You want to close loop and come back because i think the world was all about recycling a number of years ago and i think there's very much an advancement in thinking and also the consumer's understanding so um hey it's really small it's a really small part but at least it started here in the uk all right maybe we'll, we'll go there in a second otherwise we'll we'll uh, i will not let my father speak about transportation and we'll go into packaging and we do not want to do that straight away. Although this is a very interesting conversation. My father, logistics and transportation. Uh, so um, in terms of shipping and logistic, we have a very small um, 
importance on the process because all, actually all of our wines are chipped by or the, the, the responsibility of the shipment is of our clients so we don't have actually um, a lot of importance in this part of the process but of course we try to optimize their shipping uh, and their logistic process and for that we've been made made some some changes in our again packaging and in our process uh to to help the the, the chipping and the, the the actions of our clients um uh, results better uh for for the environment but yeah again and coming back because we also have and this is a good question that nicholas just said uh we also have a, a state um in doro valley and when we bought this estate, our idea was to produce the wines over there and then ship the or send the wine, bulk, bulk wine to the to Herda dos Gros because already here we have the bottling line and all the facilities and it's bigger space. But because of those rules that the wine has to be bottled in the region because otherwise it, it, it loses the, the classification and the denomination. Um, so we just stopped with this so then the logistic uh is a bit more complicated in these cases and it's not it's not a thing about dimension it is a thing about rules and domination or origin domination rules that doesn't doesn't has nothing to to do with us as producer or as as customers um but yeah the main thing is that of course we try to to deal with the, the shipping helping our clients in this way in a better way uh for for them at, at the end but of course for us um and yeah the the thing but i think we can speak this later later on uh we've been improving the the pallets and the 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 weight of the bottles to to help us and to have a more comfortable shipping uh for for them with less costs and with less carbon footprint as well so one thing that uh, what's what nicholas has said yes it's true that we have and probably that's also common in other regions mm -hmm. we have the appellation um limitation when it comes to bottling in other regions but i think a good measure would be or at least to food for thought the idea of nicholas of having different companies bottling in 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 one one facility in one producer so yeah. Mafalda maybe you can maybe, who knows maybe you can call Nicholas tomorrow and have the wine <laughs> yeah this uh, could be a good idea for no, sure it'll be easier for us <laughs> and I do think and we are still talking about transportation there is a prejudice for many reasons regarding bulk still especially in in more traditional uh wine countries and so and that's the climate talk on its own anyway we know that and also going to from road to rail is something that countries could prepare and that would indeed also reduce the carbon footprint of transportation as well and of course and we can all think of planes with biofuels and yeah. and cargoes as well but that's we, we, that we cannot talk about or <laughs> we don't have the answer to more more let's talk continue to talk about um supply chain and let's talk about the hidden materials that you have to buy, for example, and even bottles in that case, actually, that you have to buy outside your borders. How do you do this? Have you rethought about these materials that you have to buy that the consumer doesn't see? Uh, and, and bottles is a good example. And I'm thinking, for example, Nicholas, I know you started, you stopped sourcing your bottles from 
from China and started so sourcing them domestically. But I'm just thinking of that example, but I'm thinking there are many more uh, other um, materials that you have to buy. Is this something your companies had to rethink from a climate uh, action perspective standpoint? Richard. Yeah, so I mean, I'll go, Ken's put a question in the box as well linked to this. So I'm gonna to go to the, um, the shrink wrap. So every pallet that leaves and goes out has got stretch wrap on it. We're about to send a pallet out without any. Um, done a huge amount of work and, and we're really proud to be at that point. So uh, again, stability of pallet, finding that you don't then generate another waste because if your load falls over and you generate waste, but I, there are hidden elements like stretch wrap that's just become the norm and machines will be set and put three wraps on it. So the first bit is, can you actually get down to a single wrap? And then we're looking at pushing the boundary now um, and moving without. So I think it's, um, I think that awareness and, and uh, this plastic tax is coming to the UK in April. And I actually think it's a really good tax, even though as a business, you're like, oh, it's another tax. It looks, it includes transportation plastic, which I think is really wise of the government to put that on because unless you're more than 30% recycled plastic, you have to pay a tax. And it therefore generates you to really ask that question. Our screw caps come in in a cardboard box, but it has a plastic liner within it. And there's a total question on why, why, why do you have that plastic liner? Now, some of the answer will be on contamination, but certainly when you put a financial tax on, I think it raises people's awareness and, and actually causes them to focus on it. So, yeah, I think those hidden bits of packaging um are only just now being looked at but i think some headway is being made i think we're going to talk about that when we talk when we talk about waste but let me see if i understood correctly you are just about to send a pallet with no shrink wrap yep correct can you share a picture that would be uh, i actually haven't got a picture well no, no i have it's, it's, it, i have and i can try and find it what we're yes, going with is is you're generating friction and putting a different print finish on your cases Mm -hmm. um and, and a very clever layer pad in between um because ultimately you want to get stability and we're managing to achieve that on our cans at the moment because it's a better stability of a load bottles aren't so we've gone with the easier one um but yeah certainly while we're talking i can find an image and okay. uh and share that but before you do can you uh, we were talking about the supply chain but looking for materials that come from uh, outside your or your borders, in this case, the UK, since, well, your wines come from Australia, not only, but many of your wines come from Australia. Have you done something about this? Or what you're doing is trying to reduce what comes with those materials? Yeah, correct. And that's where your supply okay. base you look at. So, you know, we, um, all our screw caps come from Europe. Okay. Far and from ideal. That's far from ideal. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I suppose we're lucky we're a scale. So we'll look at partnering and we'll look at actually would someone then make an investment around us to do something. So, so, so there are certainly still an issue in the industry where there are certain parts of packaging that, that, that do move too far. And to sort of Nicholas's point are not close enough to the point of action and, and, and then you're ultimately moving it too far. Okay. Nicholas, supply chain. Well, we try to source locally as much as we can. 
uh, we like that. Um, and by locally, as I mean as close to the bottling center. Um, we try also to understand the part that the product that we're buying, it's made of things that may come from other places. And so it's great to buy the product because it's made next door, but sometimes it's good to ask where are the, and in the case of our bottles, for example, it was a big, it was a very important factor for us to choose a certain manufacturer uh, to know that their sand, their silica was also sourced locally. Uh, and so it doesn't do us much good if we stop sourcing from China, the sand comes from China as well. Uh, and just produce locally. So, uh, so we try to do both. I think I agree with Richard. Sometimes it's impossible. We have a lot of uh, uh, a lot of screw cap, in particular, that come from Europe still. Uh, and uh, um, I think the uh, the aluminum industry is quite consolidated, and most of the uh, aluminum comes from one company. Uh, uh, the sheets of aluminum actually come from one company. So uh, that's probably going to be complicated forever if you like a screw cap to get it really produced right next to you uh, aluminum plus formation of the cap but it's good i think it's good to to ask and to know and then to sort through um to sort through so you you focus on the big on the big items you know on what really is matters because we you know i mean we, we've eliminated a certain paper on our labels because the paper was from italy Beautiful paper, but uh, uh, we didn't need to bring that paper all the way from Italy. Does that make a big change to um, to our operations or to our carbon footprint or our waste? Probably not, uh, but it was an easy one to do, uh, so we did it. That's great. So first, rethink whatever comes with whatever you're ordering. So everything that is probably unnecessary and will create uh, generate more wastes you are trying to avoid, Richard. And Nicholas, you're rethinking where everything is coming from. And that's coherence. Maybe, maybe it's not, uh, maybe it doesn't affect a lot your current footprint, but it's a question of coherence and rethinking the whole process and where, where everything is coming from. So that makes complete sense. Mafalda. Well, uh, pretty much the same. So we work mainly with and I think we are quite lucky on this aspect because we work mainly with national producer of this supply supply goods, and um, which is very good. So we and we even though we are always trying to seek for new ones closer and very next door of us, which is not uh, so easy uh, because may actually our main suppliers are located in the north of Portugal, which is good for our uh, estate in, in Douro Valley, but not that good for Alentejo. But of course, we are always trying to find new ones and very close to us. And the only, I I'm just remember the, the only product that we actually import from other countries are bottles, not only of the bottles, but some of them, they came from Spain, for example. Um, and I would say that this is the maybe the only the only product that we import from other country. Of course, then I have these questions to the, the suppliers. Where are the wood came, came from, for example, for the wooden cases that we have for the wines? And well, until maybe last year, they were, came, they they used to say to us and the actually the papers told us that they came from portugal from portuguese forests but with all of this shortage shortage of materials 
Nowadays, they are looking uh, for Russian wood, for different kind of wood uh, in different countries. So again, um, it is Portuguese. It is a Portuguese company that prepared and, and made out all the, the wooden cases, but the wood could come from another country. So again, the carbon footprint can increase uh, because of that, but well, at least we try to, and mainly our suppliers are from Portugal and our Portuguese companies. Um, and in this case, actually, we have uh, less carbon footprint or less impact to the environment. And when buying wood materials, is the is uh, is buying wood coming from sustainable sources? Yes. Uh, oh. okay. Yeah, all of our wooden cases and carton cases and corks came from F or are made out of F, uh, made out of FSC um, products. So uh, we don't use. We left uh, all the, the the materials that are not certified like that. Okay. Now, still talking about supply chain. Uh, yesterday, our, we were talking with uh, several producers of uh, already with some dimension. And various, uh, several told, the, told us that they believe they didn't have the power to influence the behavior or not, not the behavior, but the, the practices of their suppliers, suppliers of dry materials. So I'd like to hear what's your opinion about this? Do you have the power to influence your suppliers? And how do you do that? How do you make them compliant? with your own uh, policies? Is it through compliance goals, for example? How do you influence them? And do they influence you? I'll start with Mafalda. Well, I have a totally different opinion. So I'm not included in this uh, producers because since the very beginning of the company, um, we try to seek to suppliers that um, understand our principles and our way of production. And we try to find this kind of suppliers that can have at least the same mentality of us. Um, and well, since then we were working pretty much with all the same suppliers. And of course we change to others and we, we adapt to the new reality. Um, but I didn't. I didn't find any 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 conflict, or it's quite a strong word, but any kind of resistance to to this to this kind of mentality or this kind of of way of of product of production. Um, and actually, um, we've been influenced a lot of our suppliers, uh, and we've been telling more and more about our practices and about our our um, our way of production and it's it has been the other way around as well so we've been uh very influenced by our suppliers uh with new solutions about materials about uh whatever so it's being i think it's being a very partnership together with them uh through the years and and i didn't find any resistance actually and i i I, I saw actually the other way around. I, I saw a lot of opening minds on the supply chain um, with us. Uh, so maybe those producers, they have to, <laughs> to look for other kind of suppliers because I think there's a lot of, 
of changing happening in the, the wine business uh, and especially in the supply chain. Uh, and there's a lot of suppliers that are having a lot of efforts to, to, to answer and to give different and new and more sustainable solutions for, for everything. So, well, this is my point of view and, of course, my... And your experience as well. And my, my experience, of course, and Enerdad Juro's experience, yes. Richard? Yeah, I think my father's right. It's about partnership. So our suppliers, we will typically sign a three to five year supply contract with them okay. so that ultimately we'll work in partnership. Um, everyone respects that people need to have the right profit margin within their products. But then outside of that, we're really going to work with them. And, and I think supply chains become so challenging recently. I think the behaviors are much more like partnership. I think I think the, the the days of where there's that sort of conflict and has by and large gone. And, and, and therefore I certainly find the transparency with our suppliers is fantastic. So that we they have sustainability agendas. A lot of businesses these days have that. So they're looking to find a way together. Um, so yeah, uh, I think partnerships is key here. Okay, uh, Nicholas. I don't have much to add. Maybe I'll have a couple, couple example of things we do. I mean, I agree the supplier and suppliers relationship is, it's not as bad as you 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 portrayed it at the beginning. I think there are ways to work together. Uh, the first one is that uh, we we do have a uh, supplier code of conduct, uh, and so. Uh, you could, it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be just a few bullet points that you said, the suppliers that work with us, they do this, this, and this. And that's kind of a filter you can use to make sure that you don't get in a relationship with someone you don't want to get in a relationship, relationship with. Probably can do the same with your uh, with uh, girlfriends and boyfriends if you want to, that works the same. Um, so kind of sorting through. And then the second thing is visiting your suppliers. I'm shocked sometimes by only a few people who visit the suppliers. And actually um, a beyond the salesperson that come and see you, um, just go visit the glass plant, go visit the uh, um, the printer that prints your labels. And, and I, find, I find them quite uh, engaging. Um, excited about their own business and wanted to do the right thing very often. And, and the efficiencies that we can find when we do that are usually quite great. What efficiencies do you bring out of that? Well, I'm going to give you an example. Um, um, a couple of years ago, we went to visit a cardboard manufacturer for our cases. And uh, um, um, we had no idea that there are different ways to cut the cardboard. Uh, so the flaps would meet in different manners. Uh, and uh, um, the marketing department would order the cardboard. They would they would not understand how the box would be cut. And so we were paying more money and using more cardboard uh, because we were having all sides meet on our cardboard boxes. And visiting the cardboard manufacturer, we realized, oh, look, that's the way they cut the boxes. And there's all that waste of cardboard if you're using that all side meat uh, uh, pattern. Uh, and we don't need to have all the side meeting. And uh, I mean, for someone that does cardboard and bottling every day, maybe it's second nature. But if you don't, if if you don't do that every day, you may not know that. So that kind of findings, I think, are are great. 
in a way that was visiting the supplier, but also, as you mentioned before, it was about asking questions as well, isn't it? It's about rethinking. Uh, before we move on to, to waste, I have two questions here that, well, actually more than two, uh, that have to do with the previous topic. So we'll, I'll ask them if you don't mind. One is, how are you factoring in climate effects over transportation and logistics? Do you have, do you use any type of forecasts when planning your year or deciding over type of transportation, road, rail, ocean, air, to redu reduce reduction, re disruption risks? Do you consider carbon miles when deciding how are you, do you balance carbon cost against uh, freight price? Who wants to start, Richard? Or actually, does any of you? Uh, well, I'll give one quick one. Um, historically, no, but now, yes. So again, on that ever evolving on, we've got certain brands, um, you know, at the commercial price point that maybe the country of origin isn't so important to the consumer. And we have recently switched the wine supply to more local markets because we fully map our footprint and we are carbon neutral and we do some of that by offsetting. So I'm really proud that we have actually ventured down that now. So where you have a brand that enables you to do that, um, I think it's something people should look at. And, I, and I'm very proud that we've got real live examples on the supermarket shelves now. Okay. Changed in the last six months. Father Nicholas, would you like to add something to this question? I don't have much to add. I mean, we do everything by truck because, again, we're too small to entertain other uh, transportation option. We uh, uh, we do a carbon accounting, so we look we look at our uh, uh, carbon um, footprint uh, based on miles traveled. And so and so for us, it's it's not a game of choosing rail versus uh, boat versus uh, road. It's more about reducing the amount of miles travels, and 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 that's where the efficiencies I've talked about were important. Mafaldo, would you like to add anything or no? Well, I, I don't have that much to add. As I as I said before, uh, we don't deal directly with the uh, shipping, so sometimes it's just the choice of the customer. Okay. When looking. And another question here that had to do with the life cycle analysis and uh, is when looking at this life cycle analysis and logistics, were you able to include warehouse management and materials such as pallets, shrink wrap, uh, strapping direct consumer packaging services, uh, for example, styrofoam? Actually, styrofoam. And I actually think this is a good way of introducing the, the, the waste uh, topic, actually. Uh, but were you able to, to include these materials? And I can go the, the short yeah the short answer is yes uh, uh, they have to be included uh, and uh, you know one thing that probably Richard is doing is a change, you know stopping using pallets and clamping uh, clamping uh, pallets so you don't use forks anymore you just clamp them it reduces on pallet use and uh, uh, and also a huge amount of work tracking pallets exchanging pallets all that deal um, the styrofoam question is is i think a big problem uh there's too much styrofoam being used especially um for us in the uh, direct to consumer shipment uh which is something quite important in the united states where transportation goes from the winery straight to the consumer and we have a small box of six bottles or 12 bottles and uh, that packaging 
uh, is used uh, from time to time, uh, either for uh, to ensure the shipments arrives at destination in one piece, but also because of its uh, uh, thermal uh, ability. So it keeps the temperature a little cooler in the package. But correct me if I'm wrong, but styrofoam is not recyclable in the US, isn't it? It's not. Okay. It's not. It so, goes to the landfill. It's a terrible yeah, that I think packaging. It's terrible. Whereas, for example, in, at least in some countries in Europe, it is re recycled. So I know that's a big problem in the US. So this is a good topic to start with waste. Um, and we, I think in, when, in some ways we have spoken about waste here, but what have you been able to reduce uh, in terms of your operation, in order to be coherent with this um, with this topic that we are addressing here today, and Nicholas, you have the word, so I'll start with you. Sorry, can you repeat the question? I was reading one of the questions in the chat. Uh, in terms of waste management, what have you been able to reduce? And this has to do with the topic we were just talking about, actually, in your operation, not not to reduce to reuse. Have you been able yeah. to go on? Well, I have a long list of things, so I, but I don't want to take uh, uh, the entire hour to go on waste because it's probably a long topic. I think the number one waste that I'm really interested in reducing is wine waste, uh, and uh, and and that means making more cases of wine uh, with a ton of grapes, uh, and so understanding how do we how do we don't waste a drop of wine. We, it took us. It took so much energy to grow those grapes and feed those vineyards, and uh, losing any of it uh, feels extremely wasteful. Uh, to me, almost more wasteful than uh, anything else we do. So, number one effort is to reduce wine loss and track it. So we track we track the number of cases we make per ton of grapes we grow. Okay. It would be good if you could share the list with us, even if not in this, even if it's too long, it would be great to, <laughs> if you could share the list of everything you were able to reduce. Huh? I yeah, think it could be yeah. really, really useful. Uh, and you but, yeah, I mean, after that, after that, you can look at everything that goes into yeah. the winemaking, the, 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 no, all the packaging supply, everything, utilities, uh, any input that goes into making a bottle of wine, there is a measure on a per case basis you can track to make sure that you're not wasting any, nothing goes to the landfill and everything is, and, and, and the use of it is as small as possible. So yeah. kilowatt hour per case of wine, uh, gallons or liter of water per case of wine, um, and go down the list, number of uh, number of tons of glass cardboard or label wasted or dollars amount, uh, all that we measure and we try to reduce. And you try to, do you have uh, annual annual uh, goals, for example, to, to try to reduce all those? Not really. We don't have, we don't set a goals. Right now, we're more at the stage where we're gathering information and then we um, uh, we imagine where are the big, the big rocks we can move that are going to change the number. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, in kind of wine losses, we had a few places that we didn't have great lease filter. And so buying a new lease filter that uh, allowed us to recover more wine out of the lease uh, was a very easy decision to make. Not only it increases the number of cases per ton we make, but also it's, it's quote unquote free wine. So uh, for the accountant, it's an, easy, uh, it's an easy purchase to make. 
Ok, Mafalda? Uh, well, um, of course, wine waste is very important as well, and we try to to have good heels and trying to do our best to to have a good conversion actually. Uh, but um, well, uh, in terms in Portugal, um, there's a, a society I can call it like that Sociedade Ponto Verde, uh, which actually I'm pretty sure that it's all the, the producers are bot bottlers at least that has to, to be part of that in order to make sure and assure that the, um, the waste of the bottles, for example, or the cases, um, they will have a final destination and a correct destination. So, and for that, we can, we can get known that what, what, what is work, our contribution uh, in terms of CO2 uh, sequestration, for example. Um, and this is a point that I think it's very important um, as a wine producer uh, and bottler and uh, know that at least our final bottles, empty bottles, they will have a final destination. Then inside, inside the, the, the production, of course, there's a lot of things that we, we've been doing, uh, especially in what concerns the plastic wrap, the plastic film to wrap up the pallets. We've been asking a lot of our suppliers to decrease the quantity of plastic um, film that they, they were using uh, because it wasn't necessary that much. And uh, because it's not that a long way that the pallets has to, to make uh, until our facilities. So um, this was one point that we we asked to our suppliers and again, a, partner, a partnership relation that actually have this uh, result and they decreased the plastic. Uh, so we had less waste in terms of plastic film. And then we also have some suppliers that have a lot of returnable policies in what concerns pallets and interfaces, plastic interfaces, especially on the bottles, that actually they we are we receive these pallets and this is these interfaces, but then they are they are collected and they returned to the, the production. Um, and so we've been actually decreasing or reusing, re recycling this kind of waste, but then there's few more uh, in terms of used barrels, we resell them or we reuse them here to collect rainwater, for example, and to wash and to, to watering the, the gardens, for example. Uh, the vineyard posts, the wood vineyard posts, we reuse them to the, to the, um, the fences that we have for the horses, for example, or other kind of fences. Uh, well, there's few few things uh, uh, that we've been putting in practice in the last couple of years uh, to reduce the quantity of waste that we've been producing and also trying to find new solutions in terms of biode biodegradable materials or yeah. reusable materials, at least. There's one question here for you, Mufalos, is how much waste do you valorize? Do you valorize in terms of recycling, reuse, and others? If there's a percent for that, if you have. Well, uh, I, I I'm not saying 100 percent, but mostly 80 percent for roughly, uh, because actually all of them are recycled or. As I said, we have a lot of supplier returnable policies with some suppliers, uh, especially pallets and some 
package from analogical products or hygienic products that just bring or we we bring them again to the to the to the producers or to the suppliers okay richard zero waste certification we're looking forward to listen about that as well you know I, I, and I, waste I, management in general yeah i'm going to go back to nicholas's but i think it's about measurement it's about understanding where you're losing whatever you're looking at so we put a lot of work into our wine loss um historically we'd always know how much we'd lost at the end of a packaging run you go right we've got this much in the tank you finish your packaging run you've got this many cases and you go oh crikey we've lost three thousand liters on, on that packaging run we've worked really hard with some companies and we've actually got some machine intelligence now and we've really gone after that so we're now got certain probes that's giving live feedback to our operatives if part of the system is out of balance so i.e you're offloading at a certain literage rate and your fillers running at a different rate and they're out of balance so i think the wine industry has to embrace technology technology can help you and, and for me it's about measuring at different points you then go okay this part of our process actually is generating x percentage of our loss we've got our wine loss now from a container arriving on site into bottle down to 0.3%. And it's mind blowing. And it's purely through by using data and, 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 and empowering people. So I, I know we're sort of short of time for us, that methodology applies to packaging cases or anything. I think you've really got to try and get your data live. So you can go and interact with whatever is fading in your process in real time as opposed to always historically going, why did we lose that on that run and try and do a sort of post investigation? Okay, but is that when you speak about zero waste certification, was was it the technology that led you to, to that state? Of, so, 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 sorry, you, you, you're talking about certification, so I was talking about different, I'm talking about measuring our wine loss through our yeah. process. We have zero waste to landfill, so when we get to the end, our site, um, sends nothing to landfill, that's certified, that's through ultimately going methodically through every single waste stream that you have, looking as if you can change that material ultimately to something that's recyclable. If it's not, then finding the appropriate stream and, 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 and that it can go into um, some of our plastic backing from our labels goes off and makes traffic cones you know it, 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 it's about finding streams for your waste so it doesn't go to landfill um i'm thinking can you give us some examples because you're saying that you don't send anything to landfill some examples of an, a second life that you were able to give to some of the the residues you produced before so i mean the one that i love at the moment is the labels come on pet backing um, Correct. like i say they at the moment go into like big cheeses and then go off and they're, and they're currently made into um, road traffic cones. We're just done our first trial run where we're actually taking that now, extruding it in to our 3D printing. So we do 3D printing on site of certain parts for our machines. So we now have a closed loop on site where our label backing material is making machine parts that goes onto our machines. It's just awesome. Um, and, and that's small scale at the moment, but that's the sort of thinking that that really is going to sort of change. And, and we haven't spoken much about behaviors. 
And it's that. Yes, we can talk next about behaviors. That's the last question. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so we will go about people, stuff, and behaviors for sure. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's where we'll go next. We, we know it's six o'clock, but we still have to ask that question. Okay. And, and wrap up with efficiency, which is what brought us here today as well. So, 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 what I would say is we've managed to get to that where we found this amazing idea by some of my engineers being completely engaged in the journey that we've got. And, and they've they've been working on 3D printing of parts, but also understand that are bought into our zero waste to landfill. And therefore, if you start to get success and, and you get people involved, it, it, it just happens from there. So therefore, I have that crazy story to tell of closed loose packaging with 3D. So yeah, I it all into intertwines, doesn't it? And that's why these forums are great, just to sort of share ideas of what is possible. And you can't forget to share with us the, the picture of the of the yes, no, yes. Yeah, no, 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 no. and also 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 that one you just told us about it as well. Yeah. Now let's talk about stuff and I actually uh, and about behavioral change because this requires uh, all the people you work with to change the way to, to be engaged with everything that we're talking about here today, uh, not just your employees, your suppliers. How do you engage people? How do you start the conversation? What what have you done to make this uh, a company a company's uh, challenge, not just a, a personal challenge? Nicholas, I'm looking at you, so I'll start with you. Well, as usual, uh, as we say, it starts from the top. So uh, the ownership or the bosses or whoever they are in the company have to be aligned on that goal. Um, and I'm lucky enough to. Uh, uh, to have, uh, uh, we're a publicly traded company, uh, to have our board of directors, our CEO, and everybody in the, uh, in the executive position to be very uh, interested in doing the right thing and reducing our carbon footprint. Uh, among other things, other responsibilities we, we, we're taking on, on your social responsibilities. So that, that helps. And then after that, engaging, um, the employees, what we've done is to create a, a committee, which was quite wide. It was not a, a one fifth of the company is part of the committee. So uh, every department, every location, there are there are people that participate. Um, and then at every company meeting, it would be uh, a part of the uh, a part of the agenda that would be a reminder. Uh, or an update on all our progress. And so slowly over time, it, it just creates a culture where people feel that it's important and that if you actually participate in those efforts, there is a, um, an acknowledgement of your effort. It's not all about bringing the dollars or reducing costs, or this is just as important as those, those other efforts. Um, and like, like Richard said, it's uh, it's contagious. When, when, uh, when the organization starts to... Uh, um, um, to understand, uh, everybody comes up with their own ideas and, and it becomes its own little uh, microorganism doing its own little work on the side without, without monitoring. It's quite awesome to see, actually. That's wonderful. Uh, a specific question, actually, two specific questions we have regarding this topic here in the Q&A. One is, how is climate affecting the way you manage your staff, mainly farming staff? Do you have any climate considerations when planning labor, hiring for high intensity moments, spraying a harvest, 
or to prevent climate-driven accidents such as dehydration, sunstroke, etc.? That's a good question for you, Nichols and Mafalda, actually. Yeah, well, we we, we have uh, ample regulations uh, uh, to uh, to make sure we uh, um, we take care of our of our vineyard workers. Uh, but yes, all that comes into practice. We do have a maximum temperature level at which we work in the vineyard. So if it goes above 96 degrees in the vineyard, uh, we pull the crew out of the vineyard. Uh, we have also standards for air purity uh, uh, because unfortunately we had much uh, smoke events uh, yeah. uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so for, um, as for particles, we have a level of particles in the air at which we will pull the crew out of the vineyard uh, if they reach that level. And obviously, we provide uh, um, water and, 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 and training for everybody to recognize the sign of exhaustion in the vineyard. So everybody knows when, uh, uh, when you feel you're, you're, you're pushing yourself too hard. So yes, there's a whole set of procedures we have in place for that. Okay, thank you. Mafalda, I know you, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know you you pick your, heart, your grapes at night, isn't it? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, actually, <laughs> summertime in Alentejo, it's very hot and uh, we easily achieve 40 degrees temperature. So it's it's very hard to to harvest or to make any kind of work in the vineyards at, with these temperatures. So during the harvest or especially during the summertime, not only in the harvest, but all of our workers they have a different shift. Um, so they start very early in the morning at six and they stop to work at uh, two in the afternoon. Uh, and then they go home and they don't work more um, uh, after the 2 p.m. So this is a very important issue here. And that of course we have to be attentive on that. And as Nicholas said, of course they have water. It's very important to be even on this uh, early morning hours uh, still very warm um, and they have to be very well hydrated and um, very well to to work so yeah they are all very attentive to 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 uh, to ensure that there's no problems with their with their well-being okay Richard still about stuff and I think and looking at one of the questions we have here as well are you investing in staff training in terms of resilience for climate smart management? Or are you looking at sustainability as a whole, actually? Um, we do a lot of education around, you know, everyone, even on a packaging facility, we do a wine education. Um, and everyone who starts, we then also take them through our sustainability, so the policy and programs. So we work hard on that engagement and just education. I suppose once you're then within our business, you can't help but sort of miss it. So there's a formal element, certainly when people arrive in terms of induction to, to our ways of working, but then sort of on Nexus, we sort of, it's contagious. It, it's part of the DNA of what sort of happens. Um, so I quite like that non-formal piece that sort of picks the pace up. Okay. so. The word that brought us here was efficiency. And looking at everything you said so far uh, and taking things that all of you said from sourcing locally to reducing materials in general, wherever they are coming from, <clears throat> to rethinking and uh, looking at the example that Nicholas uh, 
gave sort of trying to track down the history of each material that you buy uh, using technology uh, to drive innovation. And, and actually, I would say that from all, everything you said, you try to drive innovation because you have to come up with uh, different solutions to the same challenges if you want to, to be coherent with, with the climate path that you're following. Um, I think these are some consolidating di distribution in order to make it more efficient and there and also have a lower carbon footprint. Visiting suppliers and trying to work with suppliers in general to try to rethink what you have in place. Uh, and I ask you from all of this, what are the key takeaways and taking again the topic that brought us here in the first place, what are the key takeaways that our audience should take home and how does a climate action meet efficiency in the wine operation? Uh, starting with you, Richard, as a final message. Yeah, I'd go get get momentum. Just, just I, I, I'd get some successes, however small, just so you can get that buy-in and there's something to celebrate and something to see that's tangible. Um, but then probably to the other end of the spectrum, go big and bold. Like go, go after those. 3D printing closed loops, go after the bits that are really going to make people sit up and take note. So um, yeah, for me is, is let's get some momentum, but let's be bold on this and see how much change we can actually do. Okay, thank you. Richard, I'll just ask, there's a question in Q&A that you probably can help in, in answering. We know, we know we have not been able to answer all the questions, but has to do how to help track data live. And I'm, I, I think that might have to do with the, the experience you share. So if you could answer that, that would be great. Nicholas. Yeah, I mean, it's quite simple, actually, data loggers. Um, we used a company called ML6 um, who were out there, who are uh, a Belgian company. And they came in and just ultimately helped us build a bit of a dashboard. Data loggers runs a bit of artificial intelligence on it as well. So not only is it giving you live data, it then starts to predict when your system is going sort of out of its tolerances. So yeah, data loggers, th there's a number of firms out there these days that for me are, are really pushing ahead on machine learning. Okay, thank you for that. Nicholas, takeaway messages. Yeah, I, I wanted to add uh, one more thing on the list of topics you had. Uh, which we didn't talk about, and it's dear to my heart. I don't want to make a long story out of it. It's a standardization. Yes, uh, we didn't talk about it. Yes. <laughs> we, we, there's a lot of efficiency to be found in standardizing uh, some parts that we use. Uh, same bottle shape, same color, same closure, same capsule. Uh, there's a huge amount of waste that is created by adding too many, uh, too many parts. And so, um, uh, in our case, we've, we've simplified our life greatly. And, and I think to the reusable bottle, because uh, I'll say it again, if the entire wine industry could use one bottle uh, and the same color and same shape, we, we may be solving a third of our carbon footprint problem for the entire industry. Um, so anyway, so. Uh, Richard, we, uh, Richard, no, sorry, Nicholas, believe me, we will continue that, that specific conversation <laughs> in another forum, don't worry. <laughs> Anytime you're, I have an opportunity. You're already in the list for that, don't worry, we'll, we'll continue that conversation for sure. Uh, but besides that, the, my key takeaways for me is uh, it, it's really a long journey. There are many ways to approach the problem. There's many different roads to take. Um, no one's perfect, so you should not be 
in despair that you're not far, far along on the, on the journey. Uh, what has always worked for me and I think for us is to ask questions and stay open and solutions are, they are there um, and they're not obvious, but um, um, it's amazing how creative we can be like a Richard story with the, the backing of the labels on uh, for 3D uh, uh, printing pieces is amazing. Uh, and uh, uh, it's a great one. I think also what's important is to write down your goals uh, because it's easy to be overwhelmed. Uh, but every year, if we do one or two things and we keep going, it's just amazing how things move. I think what's difficult sometimes if you don't put those down and you you change goals halfway through the year and you don't achieve anything. But if you just say no, god damn it, sorry, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna figure out how to not use any more shrink shrink wrap around my palettes. A uh, few um, good brains and you can figure this out. So. Um, so that's an exciting thing. So don't put it down on paper and have a plan and do it. And be bold. Indeed, yeah. living shrimp prep can be really bold. Nicholas, a list on everything that you have reduced, I think can be something that can be, it's weird to think of waste as inspiring, but a list of everything that you reduced can be a good solution for you to share with us. So we'll chase you on that. And we'll also chase you, Richard, in regards to to the to the palette to the palettes with no shrimp preps and um and the paper for for the labels that you've reused as well we'll chase you on that as well Mafalda final thoughts and fi final secular message so uh I think for me and for the company the most important thing and being here today with Nicholas and Richard um there's a very important key point that has to be uh said that is the climate action conscience is not about size uh it's very much about mentalities um and and this drove us to the um, the team and uh, the management and the team work uh, that is very important to be focused on these concerns on these matters and if we have these two different things uh size and team together uh, working on the same way it's much better and the results can be achieved very easily so i think um for herdados grows and for portuguese produ producer size uh, i think this is not a, a question this is actually um just the way of being on the market and on being producing wine so um it's just mentality and we we can do a lot of small things and that can be translating a lot of good results actually okay thank you very much hopefully we've been able to enumerate many of the insights and the tips you've given here and the measures you have implemented in your businesses but at the end of the day ask questions be bold engage the people engage suppliers engage your staff create goals that are compelling to all um and i think that's it for today we'll see you in about a month's time where we're just we're still building the our next climate talk but it will definitely be about uh the role retailers have on building a climate path and influencing their their wine producers so we'll have various uh retailers from different parts of the world sharing their experiences and what are they doing to influence uh, the wine world nicholas mafalda and richard it was a real pleasure uh, to have you here 
the questions that were left unanswered, we'll send them to you and hopefully count on your collaboration to answer the ones that were left. And I know there were quite a few. Um, and thank you again today. I'll end this abruptly and I'll see you guys, the four of 